0: This is Reboot Ed, the podcast where we talk about big ideas and issues in education and hardly ever come up with any answers. I'm Andrew Schwab, your co-host for tonight, and uh, I'm joined, as always, by Mike Walmert. What's going on, Mike? Hey, everyone. Um, Most people are probably watching the Super Bowl and will catch this podcast later, but that is of secondary importance to me. Because we've got Pernille Rip on the on the line, and I have really been looking forward to talking to her. So, Pernille, thank you very, very much for coming on on the podcast with us.
1: Absolutely, I'm excited to be here.
0: So you're in Wisconsin, um, and you're teaching now fifth grade, right?
1: Seventh. Oh, um, seventh. it used to be fifth. I used yeah. So you're you're fine. Um, this is my first year as a seventh grade teacher.
0: Okay. Um, I, I my All of my history is in high school, but um, I would always tell my teachers the best thing you can do in terms of pedagogy is to go watch a fifth-grade teacher in action and structure your class like that. But after reading your book, it's like the best thing is to go watch you with a fifth-grade <laughs> class No, <laughs> structure your class like that. Um, your uh, your book um, passionate learners it, it, it we're in the process in my district of moving towards one-to-one and creating student-centered learning environments all over the, the district and I've now like told everybody reading your book is mandatory um, reading um, and so we've had some teachers do that and really embrace the concepts that you've done but my hope is that we could kind of talk about those a little bit absolutely and, and at the same time talk a little bit about the evolution that you describe in the book the, the book is sort of a, a how to slash memoir of your evolution from a a standard Harry Wong disciple to um, a, a much more student-centered environment so t- talk a little bit about what Drew you to those sorts of things, and why you wrote the book. Um,
1: sure, um, and and before I forget, I'm really excited because Passionate Learners has actually been picked up by Routledge, and it's going to be released as a print copy this year. And so I'm in the process of work, of writing a second edition of it adding middle school experience. So I just wanted to put that out there. Yeah, so it's actually been fun revisiting because Passionate Learners grew out of my blog and my blog grew out of wanting to quit teaching. Um, About two years into my teaching career I had um, done everything that I swore I would never do as a teacher but the sad thing was I'd done everything by the book. I had done everything that I thought great teachers did. And in my head, great teachers had all the power, held all the control, made all the decisions. And students would just kind of follow in line um, like ducks. And with all those systems that we had in place, great results would occur. And my first year was okay. I had a great first year with my kids. Um, We did a lot. I learned a lot. You know, you kind of just swim through that first year. And then my second year, things started to fall apart. And instead of listening to my students, I just kind of shut them out more and asserted my power even more. So by the end of my second year as a fourth grade teacher, I came home. It was the last day of school. I remember standing in my classroom, you know, kind of a little bit disheveled. and, And I thought, well, that's it. I'm done and I don't want to come back <laughs> and it wasn't the kids because the kids were amazing but I kept thinking what am I doing to these kids because I'm not changing the world like I said I was going to
0: yeah
1: and um, and so I went home to my husband and I said you know I know it's the last day of school and I'm feeling overwhelmed but I think this is it for me as a teacher and he looked at me and was like are you crazy <laughs> we are still paying off your student loans uh, no you can't just quit um, you have to figure out how to make it work, and so I did, and I realized that he was right, and he's, he tends to be right when he tells me great things, and, and I said, okay, well, I can't keep teaching the way I'm teaching, and so I went back to the question that I pose in the book, too, is I asked myself if I would want to be a student in my own classroom, and it was a resounding no. I would have hated it, absolutely hated it, um, and so it kind of came across as, okay, I hate the way I teach, How am I going to change it? What kind of environment would I want to be in? And I was a pretty stubborn, uh, slightly rebellious 9 and 10 year old. And so I knew that I wanted choice. And I wanted voice. And I wanted to feel like it mattered that I was there. And that summer then the same time, um, I kept coming to my husband and saying, well, I have this idea, and I'm going to try this. And as much as he loves teaching discussions, um, he finally said, you know, have you thought about blogging? And it, he's, <laughs> I really think it was so that he didn't have to listen to it all the time. <laughs> um, and, you know, what a great way to, to get out of that. And so I started writing, and it truly was just this kind of... I'm going to put all my thoughts out there. I didn't think of anybody reading it, but it really just was, I'm going through this massive change, and I feel so alone. And then I got on Twitter, and I found people that said, you're not alone because I'm going through some of the same things, or I've I've done some of the same things. And so it really just, all of the things I did in my classroom came back to me going, what would I want when I was nine or ten years old and then I was like when I don't know what I would have wanted because I couldn't remember I turned around and asked my students and so it was this very organic crazy process but and terrifying I should say absolutely terrifying and uh, but then when I started seeing the results as we got into the classroom and got into the year and I started seeing these kids functioning in a new way I kinda knew I was on something and uh, and so it just has evolved since then so passionate learners came from throwing everything out blogging about it and then kind of going okay I did it but how did I do it and maybe other people would benefit from some of the ideas and figure out their own path and more importantly maybe other people would need to know that they're not alone and thinking that the way they're teaching is maybe not the right way
0: there's a there's a great example of giving kids voice that you wrote about um a while back on your blog um, uh, where. uh some student I think it was a kid who said book clubs suck <laughs> uh, and uh, talk a little bit about that I think that's a great illustration of you know my reaction as a traditional teacher would have been okay yeah but it's going to suck for us all together so we're going to do book clubs you, you took a different approach H- how did that work
1: yeah, it was not in my lesson plans, and you gotta love seventh graders. I mean, talk about needing thick skin. They will put it out there for you. So I had this great plan, um, and I was really excited because I'd spent so much time thinking about the clubs they were going to be in, and really trying to get great groups together. And and so it was kind of an offhand comment of, "Yeah, you're gonna find out your book club groups today," and immediately it was just this roar of disapproval. You know, just groans and eye rolls and kids looking at each other. And I thought, oh, okay. And so I heard a kid say, book clubs suck. And I was in my head it was kind of that split second and I just looked at him and I said, why? And all these hands shot up in the air. And the experiences they were telling me, I was thinking, yep, I would have said the exact same thing if somebody did that to me. And so what turned out to be this, you know, split-second decision of let's discuss this turned into the lesson of the day. And so when I teach the same class five times in a row to five different groups of kids. And, and it was an incredibly powerful lesson for me because with 114 students, it was about the same five or six reasons every single class. And not all these kids are coming from the same school. So I'm thinking to myself, my goodness, what are we doing to these kids since they're all having the same experience? They're all hating it. And much like you in the past, I would have said, you know what? Suck it up get the best out of it, you know, life isn't fair, you're going to be put in situations where you just don't like it, all those things that we say, yet as adults we rebel against it as well. And so it became a really powerful teaching moment, and I think my, my big win for the day was at the end when, the kid, when a kid came up to me who had been part of the conversation and said, when can we look at which books we get to read? And I thought, okay, maybe they don't suck as much. And because it's not, you know, I don't go into my classroom thinking I'm going to change their minds and they're going to love it. But there was movement. <laughs> and if we can get movement in their minds, then I think it's going to be a lot easier educating them.
0: And it, and it wasn't the kids saying, I hate reading books. It, it was the kids saying, I don't want to be told when I have to read the book and how many pages I have to read. And I mean, Which uh, book to read. I mean, yeah. that
1: was the huge thing. They said, we keep being told which books to read. Why can't we figure it out ourselves? Well, yeah, why can't you? <laughs> right?
0: So, so, so how, how has that worked in the class now? Um, you're, you're doing a book club, if I yes pick that up right. And yep. So the kids are kind of self-organizing around the books that they're reading? So. Or-
1: I told them, the one thing that I've chosen is your groups. And I said there was a lot. And I kind of walked them through the process of all the different things. But I said, and then I laid out about... Ooh, 50 different choices of books, all different types of genres and lengths, and they bookshop And they bookshop book for about 30 minutes in their book club groups, and they had a lot of really deep <laughs> reading discussions about, well, this is why I don't want to read this book, or this is who I am as a reader, and this is my pace, and this is what I prefer. And it was really powerful to just walk around and, and hear how they identify as readers. And then they ended up giving me a top five and all kids were able to get um, their first or second choice. And so we've been doing it for about a week now. And I think my biggest win was one of my kids on Friday goes, Mrs. Ribb, you finally made me read a book I actually like. <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, Well, I've been I haven't been making you read anything. The students can read whatever they want in my room as long as they read and he goes, Well, you know what I mean. It's <laughs> like, Okay.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah. So, um, when you first started this evolution um, and and you started changing the structure of your class, you kinda talk about it in your book, but go through, if, if I walked into your classroom before you kinda went through this, say your first or second year, I mean we've all walked into classrooms, kinda know exactly what that's gonna look like. Contrast that with what would happen if I walked into your classroom today or you know last year when you were in a elementary classroom
1: Yeah, well and I think my classroom looked much like most classrooms around the world you know kids in, in they were in pods which so that they could talk together but they weren't allowed to talk unless I gave them permission so you would have seen a teacher at the front um, teaching and all the students working at the same pace, some of them probably falling asleep because they were bored out of their minds. Mm-hmm. And you would have had my rules posted on the wall, as well as punishment and consequences, and you would have had the beautiful, awesome board, which I'm so glad I don't have documented in pictures, but were all of the A-plus gold sticker, seriously, gold stickered work was. Um, and then there was a beautiful uh, laminated poster of what to do if your pencil broke or what to do if you needed a supply and then there were lots of labels. Now if you walk into my classroom and it totally depends on the day because you might walk in and all the kids are sitting and I'm, I'm at the front teaching. Um, a big change is you'll see kids kinda all over even throughout a day you'll see that the desks move around in whichever way they want to fit them together. Um, you'll see a lot of kids probably having side conversations, uh, checking in with each other, supporting each other. You see, we have, we're we a bring your own device district. So you'll see some kids referencing their devices for whatever they need them to. Um, on, the, on our walls are our deconstructed standards. And then there's student stuff. There's no rules. We have a little PBIS matrix that the students made that's up on the wall and then other times you'll walk in and it'll be absolutely dead silent because all of the kids are reading and they're in the reading zone. Um, Sometimes you'll see kids on Chromebooks blogging and they'll be sprawled out on the floor and sitting and talking with each other and most of the time you'll probably have a hard time figuring out where I am because either I'm in in the middle of a mini lesson and my students are tall, I am as well, but they kind of crowd around me or I'm somewhere on the floor or next to a kid or doing something with some kid or a group somewhere but it really depends on what we're doing I mean so I wish I could say oh you'll walk in and there's all this passion and enthusiasm and excitement there isn't <laughs> not always it depends on what we're doing
0: right 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 the um, the thing that I think is important is that it, it isn't a structure that the kids kinda know from day to day what's gonna happen they walk in and depending on what's going to happen, so they've kind of figured out how to sort of assimilate that, and they know when to sit and pay attention to a direct instruction lesson. They know when it's okay to have those side conversations and that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean we have certain routines, and they do change. They know they'll be like we we used to start with ten minutes of independent reading time every day. We've moved to stations right now, so. It'll look a lot different than it typically does. But I think just in the classroom environment, students have figured out, okay, Mrs. is going to be talking, but they also have that promise of she's not going to be talking for that long. And so here's what I need to be doing while she's talking. Mm -hmm. And so those routines and just kind of classroom management that happens underneath the surface, they're all in place. And so the kids tune in pretty quickly. And I, I apologize to them, like, if I have a longer lesson or if I know I'm going to be talking for a longer amount of time I let them know at the beginning of time hey this is going to be longer I'm sorry get comfortable let's get through this and let's get out of it what we need to get out of it but it's really a foundational thing for whatever we're doing and so they're okay with that because they know that we move things around and they know that in every English class they come in um they will be doing different things and part of that will be having conversations
0: and and that kind of brings up the the next question I really wanted to talk to you about, and in in your book you talked about sort of moving from where it was all about the standards to it's all about the students, but that isn't saying that you've given up on standards. Talk about how you deal with the, uh, you're a common core state, right? Um, Yep, yep. so, So now it's common core. It used to be, I don't know. Whatever Wisconsin,
1: Wisconsin standards, yeah. yeah. Um,
0: but how do you how do you do all this and still pay attention to those things that you've kind of assumed responsibility to share with the kids in terms of the standards?
1: I actually think it's easier because we have our 10 guiding standards. They're deconstructed in student language. The students rewrote them. They're posted on the wall. Every quarter we focus on a, a couple of, or not a couple, like four or five of them. And then we talk about how can we show mastery. And so I think because we kind of have this common end goal of these are the things you're supposed to master in seventh grade or in fifth grade, because this happened in my fifth grade room as well, the students are, can take ownership. And they can come up and say, well, hey, okay, I know we're writing. Can I write this and hand it to you? Or can I do this and send it to you or share it with you or speak to you about it? Because that's ensuring mastery in the standard. And so I think having the standards in a way um, frees us up and we have to embrace them. Whatever they are and whatever you, your thoughts are on the Common Core, we're always going to have standards, whatever they, you know, whatever they're called and whoever they come from. And so in a way it allows me to start out the conversation with here's where we need to end up, let's work backwards, how are we going to get there, and have the students plan with me. And I think that's really powerful because now they get it. They get which standards mean what and they get how they can show me that they know, um, or they are where they need to be.
0: So, uh, so a student, you, you, you've got a certain standard that the kids know that they're going to work on it. They've sort of talked about it. And they've put it in their own language, which I th- I, that'll help them kind of understand what's going on. Um, but when it comes time to actually doing the work, how much say do they have in what it is they're doing? Uh, say it's a writing standard, can they, can they choose or...?
1: A lot of the time, yes, and it simply just depends on what we're doing. So, for example, one of the standards we're working on this quarter, which just, start, which just started, is writing narratives. And so as I was planning for the week ahead in my head today, I was thinking, okay, their prompt is write a story, but they can write it in whichever way they want. And it doesn't have to be a real-life story. It can be written in poetry. It can be written in whichever way. I have a lot of kids that do a lot of fan fiction, for example. But their prompt is to write a story so that they're practicing that standard. And then I'm going to be conferring with each kid, talking about what they need to do specifically as a writer. But more importantly, I'm going to be asking them, where do you want to go as a writer? Where do you see that you need help with? and that's a shift for me as well because you know we always think as teachers that we know best and we can come in and look at a child's writing and say well this is what you need to master that standard but I think that responsibility needs to also be shifted a bit to the kids to say okay yeah I know you know what good writing looks like but what do you think internally that you need as a writer so there is a lot of choice in the classroom and I think the standards allow us to do that as long as we let the students know that If they have ideas, those ideas should be expressed so that we can um, figure it out or incorporate it. I also have, for example, let's say, um, so in my district, which is a phenomenal district, we have summative work and formative work, and formative would be your homework, and all of that is practice. none of it is graded, can't be part of their final assessment scores. Um, But I've told my students, if you show me mastery on a formative assessment, well then you're done you know that I I need to move you on and challenge you rather than keep doing the same thing that other kids may need practice in. And so in a way the standards too have been able to free me up there to really meet each child at their level.
0: So that that sounds almost like a mastery learning approach where you're paying attention to where every student is and then tailoring things with or, 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 I think you said 114 kids. How do you keep track of all that? How do, how do you <sighs>
1: <laughs> oh, it changes from year to year. Um, as much as I love technology, I actually have a binder for each each section of kids, and they each have a little tab. And in there, I have different tools that I've created to keep track. Um, you are able to kind of group kids together, centering around skills. So, for example, in their book club groups, I can cater mini lessons to a certain group of kids. But then there's kids that need one-on-one as well. It's not easy. And it wasn't easy when I was teaching in fifth grade either, and I had 28 students. It never is. Um, I change it every year, depending on you know what I feel I need at the moment. Um, but there's a lot of little shortcuts. <laughs> like Writing on address labels and sticking them in a page makes your life a lot easier. And then I think also as teachers, we need to move away from documenting everything. I think we get so nervous about not having the paper proof where really we need to just collect some things and then be able to say, okay, I trust myself and I trust my professional judgment, and here's the proof for that. And so I've been able to kind of scale back to on collecting as much as I thought I needed.
0: As a, When I was teaching science, we, we went through a thing where we thought that writing was really important, and so I assigned everybody, you know, we'd do a lab, and then the kids would have to write about it. And And what I found out is that all I was doing was beating myself to death because if they write it then I have to read it um, you, you're doing that with 114 kids who reads it all do you read it do they no. read it
1: they read it um, they blog and I obviously approve all of their writing there but an audience uh, reads it sometimes no one reads it sometimes it's just for themselves i Thoroughly prescribed by the statement that if the students are only writing so much that we can keep up, then they're not writing enough. And it's the same thing with reading. If I can keep track of every single book a child is reading in my classroom, then they're not reading enough. And so it's a conversation I've had with the students, too, because they come in thinking, I'm producing a piece of writing, my teacher's going to look at it, and that's going to be the end of it where I've had to get them to understand that writing is a process. And yes, they're writing for me, but truly they need to be writing for themselves or for whatever purpose that they find. And so when I tell my students it's free write, they don't look at me like, well, here's what I, here's what I wrote, please look at it. Once in a while they know I'll collect their notebooks and take a look, and I won't leave comments unless there's something that I think, you know, is just kind of crazy and they need a comment on. They know that I'm just reading it to see what they're doing and so that's a change for them too but it's to get them we started talking about what does it really mean to be a writer and in school we're not replicating that authentic writing process that writers do outside of school and so that was something that my students responded to in a really big way because they said you try sitting down and responding to a prompt and sounding inspired or coming up with a whole story or sounding like you know what you do with a set amount of time with kids around you and I and I thought to myself well that's not how I write so we started talking about that natural writing process and part of that writing process like I said to them is that n- not everybody's going to read your writing or your writing might just be personal and that's okay too that doesn't make it less um, purposeful or less meaningful
0: but I think given that sort of freedom it probably makes them um, more empowered to write the way that they want to write do you think do you think they're writing outside of your class more uh or are they still I mean I look they're middle school kids I, I was
1: gonna say no. <laughs> no. I think the kids that are writers will continue to write. And if I cannot ruin that, that's a huge powerful thing. Yeah. Um, the kids that hate writing, I'm trying to chip away at that a little bit, and if they can just hate it a little bit less by the end of seventh grade, then I've done my job. Um I have kids that have really embraced blogging on a very personal level, and I've had kids in past student or past years as well that have really that have continued blogging on, you know, via a different medium. And so I take that as a success. Um, but I think as teachers, we can really destroy a student's love of writing by our by the way we teach. Um, and so that's something that I'm really trying to pull away from and teaching writing so that they still believe that they're writers.
0: Yeah. Um, So, I I was thinking about this in in light of the things that I've been talking with our teachers about, but um, even at the middle school, but say when you were were teaching fourth grade or so, those kids are going to go to fifth grade. That teacher doesn't run the classroom the way you run it. So now you're in seventh grade, kids taking five or six periods a day. Uh, The period before and the period after, those teachers don't run classes the same way you do. Um, How does that work with the kids? How does that work with you and your colleagues? Is it an issue?
1: It hasn't been an issue in the past. And it isn't this year with my team either. My team is phenomenal and very open to making sure that everybody teaches in a way that's meaningful to them. Um, We're also a district that believes in personalized learning. That's our vision for our district. And so my classroom fits right into that. I think you still have a lot of guilt um, because you wonder and I've even written about it you know am i am i setting them up for failure am i am i especially when i was teaching fourth grade or fifth grade and i'm trying to get these kids to be empowered and embrace their own voice and then i'm sending to a classroom where they might not get those chances will they you know will they lose their voice forever and so there was a couple of years ago in fifth grade where i finally just had the conversation with my kids and and i just laid it out there and i said this is what i'm worried about and they looked at me like Why would you worry about that? And I remember one kid looked at me and then said, Mrs. Ripp, we know things will be different, but that's okay. And I thought to myself, well, that's it, isn't it? Kids are so resilient, they're adaptable. And I've had parents contact me later and say, thank you so much for teaching my child that their voice does matter, even if people aren't listening to them. And so something that we work on a lot now, and I've worked on the past couple of years both fifth graders and seventh graders is how do we take what we're learning within our classroom, um, the empowerment, the having a voice, having choice, how do we approach that with other teachers and ask for change in a kind way? Because I do think that there's a way that students can start saying, this is how I learn best. Is it possible to do something like this and to approach teachers with ideas? and I've talked a lot to my students about how do we how do we do that so that somebody doesn't get offended and immediately shut down. When is it an appropriate time to bring things up? And. Uh, you know, I've had kids have kids emailed me and, and say, you know, I, I asked my teacher if I could try this project this way, and they said yes, and it was just a tiny little thing, you know, it wasn't a whole revamp of the class, but just the fact that they saw results. And then I've had kids email me too and say I, I, I asked and they said no, and then I email back and say, Okay, we'll keep asking, you know. And and so I think we need to teach the way our heart tells us to teach. And yes, I'm getting kids ready for the next class. But more importantly, I'm getting kids ready for life
0: right. and for
1: everything that happens outside of school. And so we talk a lot about, in seventh grade in particular, also in fifth, but what are we doing in here that's preparing us to be better human beings? And I think empowering students and giving them voice and giving them choice within their education is something that makes them better human beings. But it, you still feel guilty. I mean, you can't get away from that.
0: It's I, I, I think it's really interesting commendable for sure you know you are modeling the same sort of stuff that you're asking your kids to do because you're you're sort of reflecting on these things and doing that kind of stuff there was a passage in your in your passionate learners' book about um, trying to implement standards and I'll get this quote wrong and I apologize but <laughs> something about, um, the, the, that students need the teachers to set up some structures for them and to kind of lay things out for them and to show them step-by-step uh, step how to master these standards and, and that was totally wrong um, but then you said that that teachers just have to have the courage to actually try it where you ask the questions and the kids kind of puzzle it together um, how do the kids do with that? What's what's the level of mastery in your classes this way versus the old? Uh, I'll call it the Harry Wong way. <laughs> uh,
1: the traditional way of teaching.
0: Yeah,
1: um, I think they soar, but I don't think they know it. Um, it what I've seen with changing the way I I teach and of course, you know, I have seven years of classroom experience, so it's five years of changing the way I've taught, is that by the time students have left me, they have mastered more than they would have had I stuck with the traditional way. And not so much when we look at the standards or just the standards, but more so in how they are as a person. And so I look at those kids, like I had one kid last year, you know, just an incredibly bright young woman, and she was courageous enough to tell me that school had always been very easy and very boring. And by the end of the year, she looked at me and she said, you know, Mrs. Rip, you challenged me. For the first time, I felt challenged. And I thought to myself, what a victory, because this kid had mastered school by fifth grade. And what a shame that is. And so while I have no research to back it up, I only have anecdotes from parents and from students that come back and say what we did mattered, what we did had um, purpose. and I see kids open up, and I see kids realize that what they're saying um, matters, and that others are paying attention to them. And I think that is so incredibly powerful. So I, you know, I, I don't have anything with higher test scores, I mean the, the test scores are, are good, but that may be just, I'm in Wisconsin, you know, and so I don't know. but. I see it in the kids, and I see it in the way they hold themselves up and how they treat each other and how they all of a sudden start jumping into conversations or what they write about on their blogs and how all of a sudden they feel a little bit more connected to what's happening in their schools and in their lives, and like that. And, and I think the big thing is that they think that their voice actually matters.
0: Well, I, I, I was fascinated. I, I pulled off your blog. You've got a... I think it's a Google spreadsheet that is, is sort of your planning document, and you, oh, yeah. <laughs> a, you you added a column to the right, and and that column is fun, right? Um, so, what what goes in the fun column? Where where did that come from? And I mean I mean, it, it's really interesting to me that that becomes a parameter of your class that you're actually including that in the lesson plan. But what what kind of stuff goes in there?
1: Um it's a reminder more so that what we're doing in some way needs to get the kids excited. And so whether that's doing a Skype call to tie in whatever research we're doing right now, like a market research or something like that, or whether it's me reading a picture book just because it's a lot of fun and we'll probably laugh about it, that column serves as a reminder to myself that teaching needs to be fun and learning needs to be fun. And so it's not so much about putting on a clown hat and singing a song, but just how can we take everything that we're doing and make it fun for the kids, even if it is just a small little change or a small little choice for the kids, but all of a sudden it wasn't the dreaded um, every day that they go through every day. And so that, that column um, is, is really just the kick in the pants that I need every single time I lesson plan. And um, and I just added it today because I realized that I've gotten so stuck in wanting to challenge the kids and making sure that they're engaged the whole time. And I mean, teaching 45-minute <laughs> English classes has totally changed my perception of how much middle schoolers and high school teachers have to cover. Oh, my goodness. And so I've, I felt myself getting too stressed out about making sure that every single moment was this rich learning opportunity and that i needed to take a deep breath and go it's okay to read a picture book just because you just got it and it's a lot of fun or it's okay like tomorrow first hour we're going to watch the you know ALA awards we're going to get watch the newberries and eat donuts because that's a big deal and we're going to celebrate that the books that we've been reading are probably going to win awards tomorrow you know so yeah Inten- intentional fun and joy
0: and that uh, I, I- Great segue. Thank you very much. Tell, <laughs> tell me about Project Read uh, Aloud.
1: The Global Read Aloud? Sure. Um, so the Global Read Aloud started in 2010, and it was one of those ideas, another conversation with my husband. We were driving in, in the car and listening to NPR, and they were talking about the One Book, One World project going on, where um, they had picked uh, American Gods by Neil Gaiman, and I'm a huge Neil Gaiman fan, so I turned it up, and people were reading it all over the world and using Twitter. and I had to then have this global book club and so I looked at my husband and I said wouldn't that be cool to do with kids and he says this didn't happen but I swear he turned to me and said well why don't you and so I did and I had no idea what I was doing but I had this idea of picking a book and reading it aloud at the same time and then connecting using technology and so the first year in 2010 we had about 600 students I think in October, September, October read The Little Prince and Um, It was amazing, my students were fourth graders and while they didn't get every single nuance of that book, they were sucked into the story and they couldn't believe that other kids were reading it at the same time and they were sharing ideas and thoughts and discussions. And so we finished after four weeks and I thought, what a great experience. And then somebody said, well, when are we doing it again? And I hadn't thought of it as a recurring thing, but now it's going into its sixth year and it's uh, kicking off October fifth, two uh, 2015. And let's see, we had 310,000 students across the world do it last year in 2014 with more than 60 different countries um, involved. So it's free. It's amazing. It's a great way to integrate tech because there's no set way of how you're going to incorporate technology. You pick the book that you want to read. I'm very busy reading as many books as I can to find um, the contenders for this year, and then people will vote. And then we all start reading aloud, and then you use whatever tech you have access access to, and you connect, and you connect in whichever way and whatever whomever you want. So it's a very, again, organic project, and all the people that are involved have made it what it is. And it's an incredible experience, and, and so much fun to be a part of. and. I don't know why people keep signing up, but they do, and so I'll keep going as long as people want to do it.
0: And if people want to sign up, do, do they... They
1: just go to theglobalreadaloud.com.
0: Nice. <laughs> I, I've been talking with teachers in our district. We're going to do it. So. Um, Great. We'll, we'll have a bunch of kids participating um, next school year. Um, I, I, I I absolutely am fascinated by teachers who have the courage and the insight to step away from you know 80 years or a hundred years of pedagogical inertia and try these new and exciting things and and it just totally makes sense to me I, I it, it, we model learning for kids kids learn to be learners and then the content really does become secondary um, because if we equip them to be learners, they can learn virtually anything they want. Um, you know, lots of folks have talked about the change from a teacher being the sole possessor of knowledge and information in the front of the room to Google being a much much better place to get that than waiting for you as a teacher to do it, or um, you know, for me to stand up there as a great oceanographer and dispel all the great information that's available. Um, seven years in what's next how how do you see things evolving?
1: Um, it depends on the kids because every single year I have to change the way I teach and right now every single class I have to teach differently because I have different children in front of me that need different things. I will never go back to the way I used to teach even on the days where everything fails, And I feel awful, and I think to myself, why am I doing this? I would never go back to the way I used to teach because, in the end, it's about the kids, and the kids are telling me that this works for them. Um, I don't know what's next, and that's kind of the exciting part of the journey. I know I'll be in Oregon School District in Wisconsin because it's one of the best districts in Wisconsin because of the people that are in it and the vision that they have and the kids I get to teach. I will probably be in 7th grade trying to figure those guys out for a <laughs> long time because they, they have been my biggest challenge so far but also the most fun I've ever had as a teacher because they are not afraid to tell you how they feel. And so while elementary, my heart still loves 5th grade. I'm thinking 7th is where I'll be for a while. But because I'm going to keep asking kids and their answers are going to change, I don't know what's next. All I know is that I want to make sure that the educational experience students get with me and in the school that I teach in and with the team that I'm a part of, that they leave as better human beings. And so, and that for me personally, that they love books and they love reading and they maybe don't hate writing as much as they did before. So, who knows? who knows what will happen I'm sure I'll still be blogging about it <laughs> because there's lots of failures to share <laughs> and sometimes good ideas
0: <laughs> and and people can read your blog blogging blogging from the fourth dimension I think is what it's yeah called.
1: blogging through the fourth dimension and it's um, com.
0: awesome well listen thank you so very much for coming on um, I, I just really find your work fascinating you've got a new book which is is that more nuts and bolts than?
1: Um, it's part of the connected educator series from corwin which i'm super proud to be a part of um, the main focus of the series is to get teachers to become connected educators in whichever way so using social media to boost the way they teach but also in so many other areas my book is called empowered schools empowered students And it's really about changing the power structure, both within the school level, so the district and principal level, as well as teachers changing the power structure within their classroom. So in the teacher section, there's a little bit of overlap, but it's really just about how do we give teachers voice, how do we give students voice, and and how do we change the way our schools are run? How do we make a bigger change? And it's been just a blast to be a part of this series. There's some incredible people um, in it. And again, it's just a how-to book. chock full of ideas, not as many stories, um, but just here's an idea, here's an idea, you know, use the ones that you want. What can you use tomorrow? I always uh, get the most inspiration from books that just throw a lot of ideas at me, and I can kind of pick and choose and change, so that's what I tried to do, and it's, it's a nice it's a nice compact read, which uh, makes it accessible as well, so it was a lot of fun to, fun to write.
0: Working with um, beginning teachers, I've told our, our Bits of Teachers that your your Passionate Learners book is required reading and I will hunt them down if they don't read it and <laughs> get some feedback. I'm, I'm thinking now I I need to check out your new one but it, I, I can envision that being required reading for our principals.
1: Well thank you, that's very kind of you to say. I mean in the end writing a book was really just about saying try this and more importantly trust yourself and so if that's the message that people take away from it then I I find a very small victory in that
0: awesome are you um, are you keynoting anywhere do you speak do you travel
1: this this is the first year that I've been asked to speak I have four kids under the age of six so it's been interesting Mm -hmm. with my husband (laughs) kinda planning out the calendar my district has been really supportive so these next Six months is the first time that I'll be doing some traveling. I get to do my first keynote here in Wisconsin in March on passionate learners, and um, and then I get to go to a couple conferences around the U.S. Um, kind of dispersed out throughout the months. And I'm just I'm excited, um, more so to get inspiration and ideas from others and to hear all the stories that are out there, and and to try to continue to work towards change. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's going to be weird <laughs> all of a sudden to be away from behind the computer screen or away from my
0: classroom. Time, time to hit the circuit. Well, right. I, if, if, I, if I'm around and I get a chance to see you, I, I for sure will attend, but people need to pay attention to what you're doing. Um, I, I, I could talk to you all night, but I think we should probably let you go. <laughs> Thank you so very much for coming on. Um, Absolutely. Again, Pernille Ripp's book is "Passionate Learners," uh, giving our students, um, giving our classrooms back to the students. Um, catch her at pernilsripp.com, and uh, on Twitter, you are. Is it Pernille Ripp? Pernille Ripp.
1: Yeah, there isn't a lot of us out there, so it's good.
0: <laughs> awesome. Nice. Always nice when you have one of those names. Right. (laughs) All right. Well, this has been another episode of Reboot Ed Podcast. And you can check us out at RebootEdPodcast.com. And we'll be back at some point in the future. I want to thank Neil Ripp for joining us and Dr. V, as always. Uh, We'll see you next time. Music.